Winfred, uh, welcome back to Australia and officially Melbourne. Uh, temperatures in the low 20s and things and not too many marks being worn. Uh, how's it all in preparation for the Asian Racing Conference? I uh, have to congratulate our partners, uh, especially Racing Victoria, uh, which have uh, done a fantastic job. I think our team uh, was here and a lot of our team members are here. And if you see the readiness of the conference, everything, I'm convinced it will be a fantastic conference, especially coming together after three years of non-personal contact and Zoom meetings. So I'm really excited to be back in Melbourne. We'll talk about a few of the aspects through this chat, but I want to start with Hong Kong, obviously, about everything that you've been through as a country. I've noted in the last few weeks that the trainers and jockeys during the week have no masks on race day. Uh, they wear them. Just take us through, if you can, to our listeners, just how hard or tough it's been over the last two or three years to maintain racing in Hong Kong. If you see Hong Kong racing is a symbol of Hong Kong's resilience. And the focus on everybody's on Hong Kong racing. But if you have everything concentrated like in Hong Kong, we have uh, 1,300 people working in the stables. Our total workforce at Hong Kong Jockey Club is 8,300. We have, for example, an IT division of 700 people. So if you want to keep an organization going through a public health crisis, what do you have to do? We came up with very clear guiding principles that everything we do cannot have a public health risk. We came up with principles that no one of our employees or our trainers, jockeys, licensed persons should be put at risk. But we had then, in a way, to demonstrate to the government how you can continue when a city is practically in lockdown. So we came up with strategies which were early detection testing. We built up capabilities of a capacity of 1,500 PCR tests per day. So with this, we could measure, we could trace, and we could continue racing. We could even continue our cross-border horse transport. The whole border was closed. But the sacrifices we had to make, and that is the trainers, jockeys, and myself, we lived in a bubble. We could not have outside contact. We went to daily testing regimes. So that was mentally definitely challenging. But in the end, racing continued. We could, in a way, make don donations to the community, and we created huge tax revenue. And I personally think it was worth it. But now uh, the sky opens again. Yeah. Uh, we have the international races. We have uh, now, in a way, the Chinese New Year meeting with 84,000 people. Yeah. So the future looks bright. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, uh, just on the toughness of the racing industry keeping going, we, you know, we had, for example, Blake Shin was there for a time. Mm -hmm. Zach Purton spoke yeah. about it, how, how tough it was just to be in that bubble and still continue to do their job but not being able to do anything else. It must have been mentally tough for everybody. It was an absolute stress test of mental strength. And that's why we were so keen as soon as we could relax. And what we did in summer, we in summer postponed the start of the racing season that people had a chance to recover yeah. from mental stress. But I wanted to really thank all our trainers and uh, jockeys, licensed people and stable staff who did this in the end for the interests of Hong Kong. And that is, I think, well recognized by our government and our fans. I get multiple emails, WhatsApp, from racing fans and said, from taxi drivers to owners, please keep racing going. Yeah. It was two times a week, Wednesday and Sunday, 
where people looked forward to. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is great that we have such a wide acceptance in the community. And Hong Kong racing matters. Winfred, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw that mighty race uh, with Golden 60 getting the money that day from a romantic warrior and California Spangle. Just on that day, I think it was the first day where all of us have gone, gee, the crowd's back at Sha Tin. It must have been quite extraordinary that day. I, I think if you... Uh, look at the atmosphere when the horses came into uh, the, the last 400, the vibe you had. And this is what horse racing is about. It's not about the price money. It's not about the wagering. It's entertainment, it's sports, it's excitement. Yeah. And to have this and to have three of the best horses in the world competing in one race uh, in Hong Kong, that definitely was something very, very special. Can I ask you on that point, because we always... When Golden 60 wins or one of your stars, gee, we'd love to see that horse race in Australia or England or wherever. I know Able Friend went to England, but do you think there's a better chance in the future if quarantine could be assisted in some way that we could see, like an Animo, uh, race in December in your meeting or April and your horses could come here? Definitely. I think probably we in Hong Kong are in a relatively comfortable position if you want to come to Hong Kong. You are at the track. You come seven days before the race. Yeah. You don't have to go to grueling quarantine regulation. And that makes it easy to come. But I know if you, for example, go then back to Australia, mm. it makes it difficult. Yeah. So for me, a must to have even Hong Kong horses participating in Australia is a different quarantine regime. It would be fantastic to see an Animo lineup uh, in a Sha Tin race, but I wouldn't mind seeing Golden 60 running an all-star mile at the Valley, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic, but I think the chance of Golden 60 travelling is limited because he's a seven-year-old. Yeah. Even in his whole career, he has never travelled from Hong Kong, Shatin, to the training centre in CRC. So the trainer was very cautious because obviously he's a horse which would have difficulties with travel. Yeah. He has such a nervous energy. But if you look at horses like Romantic Warrior or California Spangle, I firmly believe they will go internationally. And they will see international competition in Hong Kong, but they will go internationally too. Let's hope so. Uh, we watch your races regularly, obviously, and listen to them on radio on a Wednesday and Sunday, and we see those Australian jockeys. Right now it seems to be Hugh Bowman that's really gone there and you've extended his contract till the end of the season. Jamie Carr is one that has travelled there a couple of times. Would you love to see Jamie riding in Hong Kong on a full-time basis? I personally think for her it would be too early. I think uh, every jockey in his career has a certain phase where he wants to go through. And Joe, if you look at Joe Moreira came to Hong Kong, great success. Uh, Zach Burton came not well known. And Zach is one of the best jockeys in the world. And he has definitely become a jockey who could ride anywhere. Jamie, I think now with the border open, you can fly in for big race meetings. Yeah. You can see how it is. Because it is probably, when you come to Hong Kong, a lot of talents cannot stand the heat. Yeah. It's the most competitive racing in the world. And a jockey, if he doesn't perform in one race, he's off the horse. Yeah. So, therefore, if you go there, you have to be not only be a good jockey... You have to be really, really competitive and strong. And I only can quote 
Mickey Nain, which was for me one of the best jockeys in the world, and, and even you talk to Ryan Moore. He says, every jockey who rides in Hong Kong, when you ride there, it makes you a better jockey. So a lot of jockeys would definitely benefit, and if you see Blake Shin, I think he came back to Australia being a better jockey. And that's uh, what I think is symbiotic. So definitely one would like to see a Jamie Carr, who's, I think, a great jockey, but she, in a way, had to adapt. Yeah. And if you look in, in wait-for-age races, it's easier than in a handicap. You have to analyze two hours every day to be competitive. So would be great to have her, but I think uh, she will definitely come for now the Classic uh, uh, Cup, and um, we'll see. <laughs> and, and just on Hugh Bowman, uh, he's one that's been there on multiple occasions, but he's back there now. He, he rode a winner there on Sunday that uh, he weaved the path through. Uh, it was sort of just Hugh Bowman at his very best. You've extended his contract till the end of the season. Is he one that you'd like to see maybe full-time next year? Definitely. I think... If you look at you, he had to see if his family uh, would be happy in, uh, in Hong Kong. And it was definitely a concern, still with COVID restrictions, etc. Yeah. But one can see this is uh, obviously uh, relaxing. For me, he's still one of the best jockeys in the world. And he has something, a coolness, yeah. which not many jockeys have. And uh, it is even good for our Hong Kong-grown talents. Because in the end, if you look at jockeys now like Vincent Ho or Derek Lung, yeah. they would be good enough to ride anywhere in the world. And they would be in the top three, top four, even in a way here in Australia. But riding with talents like you improves them. And therefore, he is a real asset. So we hope that it's even more enticing to stay a little bit longer. But we take it uh, step by step. Winfred, uh, we celebrate our stars here. We may celebrate them a bit earlier than what they deserve. Uh, but uh, the other day with Golden 60 in that race, but the other day with your stars that race regularly there, um, the locals' reaction to them, they're like movie stars, not only the jocks, but the trainers and the horses themselves. I think, in a way, I was joking with somebody and said, look, it's the best time when David Beckham, for example, and you would have one place in a restaurant yeah. and there is a top jockey or there comes David Beckham I don't think David Beckham would have got the place <laughs> no it, there is in a way with this very strong focus on a limited number of races a limited number of people in the industry yeah. a huge uh, coverage in in newspapers if you see newspapers for example their daily circulation goes up by 30% when there's a race meeting mm. so the, uh, you have to be prepared to be really a public figure. Yeah. Uh, with horses, for me, still, the Japanese are the benchmark. They uh, even celebrate to the next level. But I hope with the next generation of racing fans, we will be able to do the same. Can I ask you, Winfred, about uh, the Australian prize money? You've watched it in recent times, uh, in particularly down the eastern seaboard, the prize money lift. Has that impacted in any way? Have you seen proof yet that it's impacting the horses that you're purchasing from Australasia because people want to keep their horses? I think definitely if you look at what you call supply chain, yeah. it has a massive impact. Um, and one thing is the price money and the prices for horses, but moreover, 
what I think is one of the best uh, models uh, regarding ownership for a country like Australia, uh, the fractionalized ownership. If you have now somebody who owns one hundredth of a horse, even you double, he doesn't want to sell. So it's not only the price money. So therefore, this is why we have to look at uh, still, I think, sprinters. Australia have by far the best sprinters in the world. And if you look at sourcing of sprinters, Australia. But we have de-risked a little bit our supply chain that we have to uh, focus now on some distances who are more 14 to 1600 and 1,600 meter plus, yeah. to, in a way, reduce dependencies. Because it's not that even people want to pay the money. People don't want to sell the horse, which is good for the Australian industry and has shown that it works, and I think that Australian industry is healthy. But for us as a non-breeding nation, it has definitely challenges. But that's uh, something one has to manage. So on that point then, is, is there a time in the future, do you feel, that Hong Kong will try and create a breeding operation, a breeding setup in your country? I think um, if you look at the price uh, per square foot, um, even it's, uh, and, and I think it's not the right environment. Do I see long term there will be a breeding industry in mainland China? I believe so. Yeah. There is a national equine development plan issued in 2020 which clearly indicated China would like to have an equestrian and a thoroughbred industry. Nothing to do with wagering. Yeah. And if you look at uh, Yun Long, for example, yeah. he is a major global player now. So therefore, there are some people who think strategic. Time frame, it's more 10 than five years. Yeah. But I see it, and this is one of our ambition too, and why we have the racetrack in, in Chongfa, in mainland China. Yeah. We want to create a circle of global racing at its best, Sha Tin, Happy Valley, and Chongfa. And it will lead into a value creation of in relation to breeding. Also, if you look at the races in Hong Kong, they have created, for example, breeding value. If you see Lord Kanaloa, yeah. so, who is one of the top stallions in the world. So therefore, this is what we see as a long-term plan, but more 10 years than five. <laughs> Can I ask about uh, the, the money that you now have to pay for a yearling, for example, out of a, a sale in Australia? Has that impacted, given your sales that you have there, that you, know, you obviously are buying yearlings and then having them prepared to come to Hong Kong? Has it impacted in any way what you've got to pay? I, I think if you look at uh, the yearling markets have gone up tr- tremendously. So therefore, if you really look at the, mar- the horses we want to buy, their price has gone up by 30%. Mm. So, but that's part yeah. of a uh, circle. But, yeah. And, and it, I would say it has to do, too, with the price money, but it has to do with general quantitative easing policy, monetary policies. Every asset class, if it's a horse yeah. <laughs> or if it's a stock, has gone up. Yeah. And um, our income has not got up in the same way, but we still felt we have to increase our price money and we have now even certain bonus systems, which when you win a class three, you get a million Hong Kong dollars. So I think that gives the owner better reward, and that's part of uh, economic growth. The Asian Racing Conference this week, there's lots of things. You start meetings Tuesday and go through the week, obviously. Um, I guess that there's always talk here of later around the whip rules. Uh, we saw a dead heat recently and it was changed. Um, give us your feel on whips and, and for our listeners that may not be aware, uh, this, the Hong Kong situation with whip, 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 whip use. 
I, I think in a way we are not as prescriptive. And sometimes you have to look at a societal contact because probably people feel in a way that one uh, felt one has to put more measures in. The other issue is, and I would humbly submit, if you have 24 jockeys who are, and the monitoring of races, even before a race, after a race, there's no other jurisdiction has this intensity. And if there would be any whip rule breaches in relation to animal welfare, they would be detected and we would take action. But I feel one has to be very mindful how uh, one prescribe issues. And uh, it can get a little bit difficult when it goes now 200 meters counting. I, I think we have to find a way, probably general, and that is a general harmonization rule of uh, races uh, and rules of racing around the world. I'm very hesitant and I'll caution. If you, with whip rule, and you change orders of placings, it will create massive issues of customers who feel differently. So, and uh, this is something which I think probably has uh, uh, a certain concern for us. In a case like this, likely we would have paid the money back because our customer would have not accepted it. So it is a decision which was made, uh, and we have to respect it. But when we look at world pools, we have to operate on the common platform and rules. And we have a lot of things to do. Because, for example, in Great Britain, the non-starter rule yeah. is not necessary protecting the customer to a way which I think we have to protect the customer. So that's something which we definitely will discuss during the conference. On that point, I guess you're in a position that you're probably better than most countries where they would be able to pay back the money to the putter who may have lost that race. So you're in a fortunate position within that. So I guess there has to be some compromise on what you might discuss during the week on the, uh, on the right outcome for that. Yeah, yeah. I think this comes back. We should have common rules. And I think it's always challenging yeah. if suddenly somebody changes. So then one has to have agreements before, and maybe certain things. Uh, I know for us, customer centricity is key. And we had a similar discussion with the British Horse Racing Authority, where, in a way, a certain number of whips would have led to a disqualification of a horse. We would have not been able to really continue cover these races, because our customers, and what people forget, we have 500,000 people in 100 off-track betting centers. Yeah. You create dynamics, and when people feel they are not treated fairly, that is a little bit an issue. And that's why best is looking at what we can do, how we can harmonize rules, so that we are not put in a position where we bring, in a way, the understanding of customers uh, is compromised. I don't want to harp on it, but I will ask one more about it. So that day at Flemington, it was a dead heat, and uh, that one horse ended up winning it on protest. When you learnt about that, were you slightly uncomfortable because of the way the stewards acted on it? G give us some explanation around that. I, I think one thing, uh, for me, one has to respect uh, the decision made, in a way, in the context of the Australian racing. Yep. If this race would be covered in a whirlpool race, it would be a different ballgame. And that's, one has to be mindful if one does something. And 
humbly I would submit, uh, you say you have no debt heat, if it's now knows, are you comfortably satisfied that it doesn't have an impact? So is it sometimes you open up a discussion where, where, you, where you end up with? So yeah. I think, but this is, uh, I don't want to prejudge, yeah. but that definitely will be discussion when it comes to harmonizing of racing rules. And that would come on so many other fronts. I mean, I'm emphasising whip rules, but mm. it seems to be, just t listening to you, Winfred, that you want to bring harmonisation between all parties, if you can eventually do that, over a number... Is it a number of different things you want to look at? I think if you see, we have already made significant progress. Yeah. If you look at races five years ago, uh, where the French rules in relation to promotion, demotion of horses was completely different, um, and uh, even in the U.S., and especially in Japan, they adopted, in a way, what I would call the Asian rule. But now we see suddenly pop-ups of differences. So, therefore, let's sit together, let's discuss. And sometimes one has to understand it has not any longer only a local, regional perspective. It has a global perspective. And in the end, our customers, it's not what I think in the end, it's what do you think our customers see as fair? Do our customers see that as fairness and it's, it's a good explanation? And that is probably we have to have in mind. Let's talk about the whirlpool because this Saturday, it's the first one that in Australia there will be, on every race at Flemington on Saturday, Lightning Stakes Day, uh, that there will be a whirlpool. And it'll give particularly the putters through the Victorian tab... Uh, Massive pools, and they'll be on win, place, Quinella, duet, trifecta, as we call them here. But the turnover, uh, people will see these on screens, and it'll be millions of dollars in the Victorian pool compared to the others. Uh, this has been a brainchild of the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Is it heading in the direction around the world that you wanted to bring it? Yeah, and I have to admit, it was, I would say, a long journey. I introduced it, uh, the concept of world pools, in the Asian Racing Conference in February 2007. Okay. It's taken a while then. So, and this is a problem. It takes too long in racing. <laughs> so it took even for us with our government to accept that the bet is taxed in the country of origin and cannot be double taxed. Yeah. But if you see now with commingling, in Hong Kong, horse racing, 20% of our turnover comes now from overseas. If you see now whirlpools, how whirlpools have changed starting especially with Great Britain, the income situation and the offerings for customers in Great Britain. Suddenly, you have a competitive product for win place, but especially for the exotics, yeah. where you don't have to worry if you bet 1,000 or 5,000 pounds. So the liquidity we produce is one of the major, major advantages pool betting has. And I would like to see that we, in the next one, two years, have all the top races in the world on world pools, and that from there, hopefully, we can make the tote innovation even more attractive. We will discuss in the conference a new called world pool, a world pool protocol, but it's not only about now the protocol. We will have a platform which enables us to do innovation in relation to tote products right. and other products. So globalization and pooling resources is key. So the tab 
is keen to have more races. This is the first one on Saturday, but listening to you there, you're very keen to work with the TAB here in Victoria particularly uh, and have more races? Um, definitely we will work with Victoria, but we will work too in a way with uh, uh, the, uh, the TAB in New South Wales because in the end you have to bring for the best races in Australia and the best races of the world. Yep. You have to pool the liquidity. And one example is for me always... When you look, an Australian horse runs in Hong Kong, and you have a world pool. What's the odds of this Australian horse is in Hong Kong? What's the odds of this horse is in Australia? Mm. It provides huge value for customers, which I think uh, makes the whole wagering product much more interesting. It certainly does. You can watch uh, every race in Hong Kong that are on a Wednesday or a Sunday, and you can see the millions that are being operated in from your country. But the putters have that confidence that they're not going to, if they're going to have a sizable bet, it, it won't change the price greatly. And if you see odds movements, the interesting thing is, even in a way, this is why the new protocol will make the odds movement even smoother. At the moment, you have still this updating cycle of 20 seconds, which is not good. Yeah. So you have to see this odds movement quicker so that the customer has a better view of what it happens. But it's interesting that some customer sees this as indication. It's, it's, everybody has his own theory how he bets, but I think in pool products, and this is why we are so successful, yeah. size matters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I've got towards the end, but uh, I see you, obviously, with all the photos that are taken with presentations. We see you at every meeting of Hong Kong. Uh, where did it all begin? Uh, uh, we hear of your name and everything, but there's probably many people listening that don't know anything about you, Winfred. So tell us your life within racing. How did you get into it? Where did you come from? Um, how many hours do you have? No, I've, <laughs> I've, 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 I'm going to time this answer. I've only got, I've only got, I'm going to give you two minutes. Okay, that is very difficult. But joke aside, look, I, uh, uh, my father had some race horses, and I get probably in... in uh, uh, when, I never forget when I was a five, six-year-old, and she took me to the race in a horse one. I think probably then I get the virus of horse racing. So while I always followed horse racing, but I played at a certain period of time professional soccer, a German national youth team, and then um, I was involved uh, in a major breeding and racing operation in Germany. And in the end, I decided I could be now sitting in a board of an insurance company or run our reinsurance company. In the end, my passion is horse racing. Yeah. And that's uh, when I get the opportunity in a way in Germany, I was uh, uh, instrumental in, in the uh, internalization of German racing. But when I had the chance to come to Hong Kong, it was for me a unique opportunity. And the Hong Kong Jockey Club gave me an opportunity probably to develop visions which I could implement only in Hong Kong. And we have practically grown up from a regional racing organization with zero Group 1 races to one of the leading racing operators in the world. And this is uh, the fantastic team in the Jockey Club. And I'm passionate about it. And when I go racing, it's not it's my job. No. It's my passion. So you've been the CEO since 2007. So you've been there a long time. And I don't want to rule you out, but it, it, you just answered that question, I guess, in some way, that you are passionate about it. Do you see yourself staying within the Jockey Club as CEO for a, the rest of this, you know, or a decade? Or have you got ambitions? What, what's Winfred's thoughts? I think everybody has to realise 
that at a certain period of time one cannot be any longer in an executive function. And that will happen to me too. And for me, one of the biggest issues is my succession. Because I think this is something which is probably never easy. So I try, if you look at our management team, we try to build the best management team. We give assignment to colleagues to excel. And I hope in a way that therefore in the not so far future, I have somebody who in a way can succeed me. Because one has to be, being a CEO already from 2007 is very unusual. For me, the question is, as a CEO, can you create value? And so far, people think, and I still create great value, uh, but I, I think for me, one of the key challenges is now how to establish our racing in mainland China with the opening up of a magnificent, first sustainable grandstand in Shungfa and the first races in April 2026. So that's probably my first uh, goal, and then uh, let's see. <laughs> Can I ask you, uh, just finally, RSN, uh, who our listeners are listening to for this interview, uh, we're very much in partnership with the Hong Kong Jockey Club this racing season, and we want to grow that in time. And uh, I guess in some way we link with the tab through that and the whirlpool that we've spoken about the like. But uh, for us, our link with the Jockey Club, we're very proud to have that because you are a very successful club, and, and we want to brand ourselves with the very best to create our best. So we... Personally, from me, uh, as program director, uh, we hope most sincerely that we can continue our partnership into your new racing season and beyond that. But uh, uh, it's been great just to be a part of it this season. Wonderful. And you see, everything we do, we strive for world-class. And therefore, we need world-class partner and, and partners who are passionate about this, like you are, and therefore, I'm pretty optimistic, even if we don't do contract negotiation on air, I think we will have a future. <laughs> ah, fantastic. Well, I hope that Melbourne throws on. We're going to be very warm by the end of it. I think it's 35 and 38 degrees. So by the time you jump on a plane to go back, it'll be pretty warm. But uh, I hope the Asian Racing Conference is a successful one. Words are OK, but I guess you've now got to go there and achieve some things. And, and this is, in the end, is uh, always... You want to achieve things. A lot of times uh, in a conference you show what you have done and it stimulates for the next journey. And a lot of people don't even know what the real work is, what has been done by the Federation through this pandemic to keep racing going in the region, how to share best practices. But always a highlight of uh, what the Asian Racing Federation does is the Asian Conference and it's great to have it in Melbourne because I think it's a fantastic place. 39th Asian Racing Conference and look forward uh, for tomorrow and then let the games begin on Wednesday. Good on you, Winfred. Thank you very much for joining us on RSN Racing and Sport and we look forward to uh, watching the week unfold from the Melbourne Convention Centre. Definitely. I looked forward to, but probably have to participate even a little bit more. (laughs)